Good morning, friends. Welcome. Welcome, Lou. I'm very happy to be here, interested in this story. We, we covered the story in the other podcast that we did, but I'm interested to hear more details and hear it again. Yeah, I'm going to go into a lot more detail in this and the next episode about Edgar Casey. Edgar Casey and his story is something very close to my heart, something that I've always been fascinated with. Lou and I have together done one series of episodes about my experience with hypnosis. When I was a young man, just finishing my residency in psychiatry, I did a lot of hypnosis. And then I became very interested in the Bhagavad Gita and learned all about the Hindu scriptures. And now I'm doing these ancient stories. The interesting part about Edgar Cayce is it ties all three together. And it's something that is inherent in me. So I found it, find it pretty interesting. And I can almost guarantee you that you will find these stories about Edgar Casey pretty fascinating also. So let's start. Most of the times you hear about um, people who have these kind of clairvoyant um, abilities outside the United States. You don't really hear of swamis in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, you hear about them in India or Japan or some Far East place. Edgar Casey was known as the miracle man of America. He was written up in every newspaper, uh, Life magazine, because of the miracles that he did. And that's why it's so fascinating. Um, so much so, I mean, you may not believe this, but you could look it up. Two US presidents, were so impressed with his abilities that they paid for secretaries to go and live with Edgar Casey 24 hours a day for the entire lifetime of Edgar Casey at taxpayers' expense to write down as stenographers everything that he said and to put it in microfilm and put it in a library. So all of that material, my friends, is available to you and to me to look at and to get because Edgar Casey did maybe 30 to 50,000 readings on different people, cured them of illnesses that no other specialist could cure them of. And all of those treatments that he gave, which some of which we still don't know how he did it, um, are on those microfilms in Virginia, right here in the United States, mm -hmm. available to anybody in any country uh, around the world over the internet. Is that interesting, Lou? It's fascinating. And, you know, to the extent that a couple of presidents would get involved to that extent with him, it's just, it's just, it, it's mind boggling. Again, it's a story you don't hear in America or all that. And we certainly don't hear it at the highest levels like that. Right. So let's start with Doc talking about who Edgar Casey was. Edgar Casey was born in Kentucky. Kentucky is uh, where you get the bluegrass and the horses and the Kentucky Derby and a lot of farms there. Edgar and bourbon. Casey was don't forget bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's your and my favorite, Lou. Yes. Bourbon. Yeah. Um, so Edgar Casey was born on a farm in 1877. He was born to uneducated farmer and his wife. And he, from an early age, was fascinated by the Bible. Now, remember this when we start talking about the Gita. We had mentioned that people come to this earth and they're born and they bring with them things from the past. Keep this in mind. 
that what Edgar Casey was on his in his previous life was what he brought with him. So he was fascinated by the by the uh, Bhagavad by the Bible, and he wanted to at the age of eight. Somebody presented him with a Bible, and he wanted to make sure that every year, and he did do this, every year he would read the Bible from cover to cover and memorize it. And he wanted to actually, his main goal was to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to do good to people the way Jesus did. All of this is very significant, both in the what I'm going to be talking about today, about how he helped people, and from his previous life, which we'll talk about in the next episode. So he said, whatever good I do has to be done, like Jesus suggested, to be done for the people without any gain. You don't want to do it for popularity or fame or money. Just do it because it ought to be done. That was what Jesus said. So he said, that's what I need to do and do no harm. So 1877, Edgar Casey was born on a farm to these uneducated farmer couple. And he grew up thinking he was going to be a preacher and do good things through the church. But he wanted to get off the farm. He did not like farm life for whatever reason. <clears throat> so he only went up to eighth grade. This is also significant that he did not have an education. Up to eighth grade in Kentucky, in schools, they do not teach about the Bhagavad Gita. They don't teach about Hinduism or Buddhism. They don't teach about reincarnation. They don't teach Sanskrit words, all of which became very familiar to Casey without ever having opened a book or ever her having read. It was as if it came from somewhere either within him or as he said, from the sky, from the ether, from Akasha. So all of these Sanskrit words and techniques that he learned, where did he get those from? But I'm ahead of myself, let's back up. So early on in his adolescent years, he left the farm and he decided to go off on his own, took his parents' permission, and said, I'm going to go off and be a clerk in a bookstore. So he worked as a clerk in a bookstore, made some money, not a lot. And then somebody offered him a job as an insurance salesman. Mm -hmm. And he started to do well with that, made some, a little bit of money. Money was never in his life important to him. Enough to pay for a small room somewhere for himself and some money to buy books and uh, food. And then he lost his voice. Hmm. Now, how do you sell insurance without a voice? He could not speak. No, can't do it. And later on, it was found that this was purely psychological. So the question was, you know, was he doing this to himself so that he's saying, I need to be on the right track to help people. And what am I doing selling insurance? That's not helping anybody. It's just making money for myself and the insurance company. But whatever it was, he lost his voice. He didn't know. He went back to the farm because he could no longer make any money. And he was totally depressed and dejected staying on the farm. He did not want to go back there with his tail between his legs. He went to doctor after doctor and even expensive doctors, specialists, to get treatment for his, for his voice. Um, nobody could help him. They said, we don't know what to do. It sounds like this is in your mind. There is in Austria, this guy called Sigmund Freud. Maybe you want to go see him or through hypnosis. Um, I think I read that somewhere, but I'm not sure. But there was a hypnotist that came to town. His name was Hart, H-A-R-T. He went to the hypnotist after one of his shows in Selma, Alabama. 
and asked Mr. Hart if he would hypnotize him. Hart took some money from him, lay him down, and in his typical fashion, lay him down on a couch with his feet crossed, arms crossed over his chest, and hypnotized um, Edgar Casey. And Edgar Casey's voice came back. Hmm. And so when he brought him out of the trance, he said, okay, you were speaking now. I heard it. These people heard it. Everybody heard you talking. So Edgar Casey said, thank you, walked off the stage, <clears throat> but then he lost his voice again. This happened hmm. twice. And then Ed, Mr. Hart left the town and went somewhere else. At that time, there was in the town of Selma, Alabama, this man called Lane, L-A-Y-N-E. Lane was like a chiropractor, physician of sorts, not really a doctor, interested in everything under the sun, including hypnosis. And he tried his hand at amateur hypnosis. And he came to Edgar Casey when he heard about this. And he said, can I try hypnotizing you? This was like a change of events for Edgar and for the rest of the world. Because I think Lane was a huge force behind Edgar Casey, And you'll see why. So Lane said to Edgar, I'm going to do exactly what Mr. Hart did to you. Lay him down on the couch, legs folded, crossed over one another, arms folded across his chest. And he started to say to him, you are going to be hypnotized. And then he hypnotized Edgar. And when he said, now, the difference between Hart and Lane was, if you remember our episodes where I talked about post-hypnotic suggestions that I would give to people that I hypnotized, Lane gave Edgar Casey a post-hypnotic suggestion. And he said, rather than me telling you the way Mr. Hart did is to start talking and to get your voice back, I'm going to ask you as the person laying there to tell me what you think is wrong with your, why you can't speak and what should be done about it. To Lane's surprise, Edgar started speaking in a different voice. His voice changed. His speech changed. The way in which he, his words came out changed, almost like something from uh, far away, from yeah. hundreds of years away. His voice changed, and he said, and he started saying this, we can see the body, meaning Edgar Casey's body. So he's talking not about him, Edgar Casey. He's talking about some mighty force that says we. This is curious because it comes up with every one of thousands, 30,000 to 50,000 people that he then hypnotized. Hmm. Always that voice about, we can see the body. He says, we can see the body. In the normal state, his body is unable to speak, Edgar Casey's body, because of a partial paralysis of the inferior muscles of the vocal cords. I didn't even know there were inferior muscles of vocal cords. I just knew them as yeah. vocal cords. He says, partial paralysis of the inferior muscles of the vocal cords because of stress, this is psychological. Increase the circulation to the vocal cords with heat and the body will be able to speak again. <clears throat> so Lane wrote all of this down and then asked for somebody in the kitchen to heat up a towel with on a frying pan, make it hot, came and put it on the vocal cords and he's, uh, Edgar Casey started to be able to speak. And even after the hypnosis was able to speak. Subsequent to that, Lane did quite a few more hypnosis with Edgar to get him to make sure that the speech continued on that way. But Lane was a bright guy. He said, 
if Edgar Casey was able to diagnose himself and say all of this, he may be able to diagnose other people. So he said to Edgar, he said, Mr. Casey or Edgar, whatever he called him, he said, I have had significant stomach problems of my own. He says, I'm suffering. I've lost weight. I can't eat very much for many, many years. I have gone to specialist after specialist. Nobody can do anything for me. Could you tell me what is wrong with me? Edgar Casey said, well, I don't know how to hypnotize you. He said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm saying I will hypnotize you, Mr. Casey. You tell me what is wrong with me. Edgar says, without examining you, how can I do that? But I'll try. He lay on the couch. Lane hypnotized him. The same voice came out. And he says, we can examine the body. We mm -hmm. can tell you blah, blah, blah is wrong with you, whatever it was. I don't have that microfilm in front of me. And he said, this is what you should change about your diet. This is how you should exercise. This is what you should do in terms of taking medications. And whatever it was, in three weeks, Lane, who had been suffering from this for years, was completely cured. He gained mm -hmm. weight and he said, this is amazing. Lane then became a proponent and started talking to everybody, all his friends, everybody else about how he was treated with this. Now, now neither Lane <clears throat> nor Casey had medical backgrounds of any sort. Absolutely. And this is why it is very important that Edgar Casey accurately phrased every sentence in his microfilms that you will see in the library in West Virginia that everything is accurately phrased in medical terminology, proper anatomy, proper physiology. In fact, one of the cases that Edgar Casey treated was somebody that needed a pin. In today's day, he, they would put a pin through his knee. Edgar Casey at that time said, you will get a, a nail uh, of so many inches, you will boil it, you will sterilize it, and then you will put the nail through, and nobody could believe it. to say, what, nail? And they put the nail in and the person's knee was fine. So he used proper medical terminology, anatomy, physiology, and gave these amazing treatments. All of you, if you want to go and look at the uh, museum on the internet, you'll see all of these cures. He never took any money from his services. And I will, that's a very, very important thing for us to follow up on to say what happened with money. So 1901, when Edgar was about 23 years old was the first time that Lane hypnotized him. Then he uh, found out about Lane. Then for the next 23 years, he did readings for the public. And this is very interesting for me to tell you how he did those readings because he did not meet his clients or his patients. He actually just from, from a telegram, there were no telephone calls at the time um, or, or internet. They would send him telegrams or letters and from that, he would ask for their name and where they were born and where they were located. And with that information, his mind would travel to where they are and they would then come. You may find this very hard to believe. He may, and then from there, he was able to tell us what was wrong with their body. So 1923, and this will go to the next session that we have, was for the first time when he was 45 years old that somebody asked him about not his body. He says, I'm perfectly healthy, but tell me about what happened to me in my previous life. And that was when he started mm -hmm. talking about reincarnation. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And yeah. then in 1945, he died. So 
Um, Lane said, you must use this opportunity to help others. And Casey said, I desperately want to help others. From the age I was 10, when I was studying the Bible, I want to help others, but I'm nervous. I, I, I have studied my scriptures. And he looked to the scriptures for guidance to say, should I be doing this? And basically, he came to the agreement, to the understanding that even Christ said, you should try and help others. So he says, I have this gift. I should be helping others, but I'm not sure if I would be doing the right thing. What would the Bible tell me to do? But after hundreds and thousands of cases where people were given the ultimatum by their specialist that you're going to die, this is incurable. And when he would cure them with just one hypnosis, his doubts disappeared. And all of these people who were in, because the only people who came to him were those who were incurable. They, nobody came to them, came to him except for that one guy asked for reincarnation reading. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Casey was a little reluctant and Lane kept pushing him to say, you should do this. And then they got a long distance call from a superintendent of public schools of Hopkinsville Public Schools in Kentucky. <clears throat> they were in Alabama. This guy was in Kentucky. And the uh, superintendent of school says he had a five-year-old daughter who, until the age of two, was perfectly fine. And such a delightful young girl, he said. The father was in tears. And he said, for the last three years, since she was two, she's been deathly sick. She got what, what they knew at that time as grip. Have you heard of grip? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it equates, what, it, what we call it today. <clears throat> yeah. Even in his records, Edgar Casey wrote it down as grip, G-R-I-P-P-E, two P's, G-R-I-P-P-E. And grip, according to the internet, says at that time, this was used for any kind of viral infection, usually referred to as what we now know as flu. But any kind of viral infection, if a viral infection settled down in the lungs or the GI or anywhere, it was known as grip. Um, so this girl caught grip at the age of two. <clears throat> and from two to five, she was steadily going downwards. Her mind did not develop. Her milestones did not develop. She was not able to walk. She was not able to talk more than she learned at two. Nothing more. Everything mm. came to a standstill. They went to multiple uh, specialists. And soon, just before they called Casey, she was, the girl was having multiple and frequent severe convulsions. And they took her to so many specialists. And the last specialist that saw her said, she's going to die, this mm. girl. The father was so desperate, he called him long distance. He said, we're very sad, we as parents, we brought her back home to die. But then somebody, one of our friends knows of a Mr. Lane who works with you. And Lane said, you could perhaps help. Can you help? So Casey was so touched by that. He said, yes, I'll do my best to help you, but I'll need to come and see her. At that time, he didn't realize that he could do this long distance. He says, but I don't. Casey said, I don't have any money to travel all the way to Hopkinsville from Selma. Right. It was quite a, the father said, I'll pay you for your time. I'll pay you to come here. I'll put you up in a hotel and I'll pay you for your train fare. And Edgar Casey said, no, I'm not doing this for money. I only need the train fare so I can come there. So he took the train fare. That was the first time he took hmm. money for anything. Yeah. He took the money for the train fare. And then he was anxious. Casey was anxious, unsure of himself. He had trepidations. He looked to the Bible for help. 
And the final, he says, the finest specialists in the world have given up on this case. I'm just an uneducated person, son of a farmer. What can I do? Anyway, he went there. And of course, this wonderful guy, Lane, went with him. Thank goodness for that. Lane went him, with him, reassured him, Casey, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Casey lay on the couch and Lane was sitting behind him and he put Casey into a state of hypnosis, self-hypnosis. Lane was told him to take a look at the girl's condition and diagnose her and treat her. Now, she has been having repeated severe convulsions that a doctor would say said she was going to die. Mm -hmm. And now Lane started writing down in shorthand everything that Casey was saying. So we have all of that information before the presidents actually sent uh, shorthand typists to work with him. Casey spoke. Now, all of a sudden, from a nervous Nelly, Casey became, as he always did once he entered that state, because he was no longer himself. Somebody else spoke through his body. Right. Casey spoke confidently, calmly, with certainty, just like he always did. And Casey said, that as a two-year-old girl, which was the norm, last time she was normal, she had fallen from a carriage. They traveled around in horse-drawn carriages at the time. And the two-year-old girl, girl had fallen from a carriage just before she had had that attack of grip. Hmm. And she says that the grip germs, who, which we now call viruses, had settled in the affected area, whatever affected area that was, thus causing the convulsions. He says proper osteopathic adjustments would relieve the pressures and the girl would be normal again. Simple as that. Osteopathic adjustments. Hard to believe. So Lane, who was also a chiropractor of sorts. I was going to say, he, got, he, 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 uh, he suggested a chiropractor is what he did. Yeah. yeah. So Lane did that kind of thing. And Lane said, okay, what exactly do you want me to do? And in the readings, they told him specifically what he needed to do. Lane did that. And the mother actually confirmed that she had forgotten that the girl had fallen. It never occurred to her that the fall and these, these grips and these convulsions would be related. But Lane gave the adjustments as directed by the readings. And within three weeks, the child was free of all convulsive attacks. Her mind started to develop. It started to clear. She called the name of a doll that she had named when she was two years old for the first time since she was two. She then called her mother and father, uh, whatever she called them, mom, dad, whatever. And the parents were so thrilled. And then they kept in touch with uh, uh, Casey. And three months later, they said that she was back to 100% normal. And she had regained the, all the ground that she had lost with her milestones in the past three years. These kind of instances gave Casey the reassurance that what he was doing was the right thing. So he became more confident and he started doing more. I'll give you a couple more. There are 30,000 examples of this, but yeah. I'll just give you a couple more. The more, more recent ones. After that, he just got better and better at this. There was a young girl in Selma, Alabama, who, quote unquote, lost her reason, as they put it at that time. And she was put in a mental institution. Now, in mental institution in those days, they were pretty cruel places. Yeah. Her brother called Casey and said, I've heard of you, read about you in the paper. I beg you, please help my sister. So he again went. This was close by. It was in Selma. He went. He saw her, hypnotized himself. And he said, one of the wisdom teeth has been impacted. And that 
it is impinging on a nerve in the brain. Hmm. Re removal of this tooth will relieve the pressure and return the girl to normals. Simple thing like that. Yeah. The impacted tooth was surgically removed. The girl was back to normal. The brother was very grateful. Another time, a young Kentucky mother. Again, all of these you'll see was at the beginning, Kentucky, Alabama, close by places. Young Kentucky mother, premature baby. The baby was sickly since she was born. At the age of four months, she started having severe attacks of convulsions. The father was a physician. The father said, I can't figure out what's wrong. I'm going to call in my specialist friends. Three other doctors, specialists, came and they said, this girl won't last one day. Her severe uh, convulsions are so severe. They called Casey. They said, you've got to come immediately. Uh, this was in Kentucky where he was, his father's farm was. And Casey came immediately and said, give the, a dose of the poison belladonna. Follow <laughs> it with a dose of the antidote and she will be fine. Now, belladonna, what we know today is it's, it's atropine. And I remember in medical school, they talked to us about belladonna, belladonna in Italian. You might know what that means. Beautiful uh, woman. Yeah. Beautiful woman. Yeah. And the beautiful beauty of this beautiful Donna is because the um, drops of Belladonna put in the eye make the pupils um, expand, widen. Oh. Okay. And by looking big like that, that's, you know, adds beauty to the girl. Right. So there, it was known Belladonna. But in medical terms, Belladonna is known as atropine or scopolamine or hyosamine. And that can be poisonous. The antidote is physostigmine or pilocarpine. So Casey said, give a dose of the poison belladonna and the girl will be fine. The doctors were scandalized. They said, no way are we going to do that. <laughs> Mother said, hey, you're the guys who said that she's not going to last one day. Right. So what harm does it do if, you, if I give her this? You don't want to give it? I'll give it. So the mother insisted. She said, I'll give the poison myself. She gave the girl belladonna. Immediately she got the belladonna. The girl's convulsion stopped. The antidote was given, the pilocarpine. The child stretched and then slept soundly. There were no more convulsions from there on in. And all of this now started making huge amounts of success for Edgar Casey, And newspapers started writing about him. You can look this up on the internet, friends. Life magazine wrote articles on him, cover of Life magazine, Time magazine, or whatever those magazines were at that time. And they all said that um, this man is a miracle worker. So These aren't all just stories that floated around. These were documented at the time by newspapers. And obviously, those families and the uh, people he helped continued their lives. So all of this was to be examined. It was all available to be examined. And it still is. Mm -hmm. It still is. You, If you call up the uh, Edgar Casey Foundation or Institute in Virginia, my wife and I actually went there and spent a week and I went through the library there. But you can get it on the internet. You don't have to go there. You have to become a member of the Edgar Casey Foundation, uh, paying a small fee, and then you have access to the internet. Careful records have been kept from that time. Lane took careful records, and after that, the presidents got involved. Well, how did the presidents get involved? That's an interesting story. Yeah. So when Edgar Cayce's powers came to be, everybody heard that he can do this. There were always these wise guys who would come and say, listen, 
can you tell me which horse is going to win tomorrow? Yeah. And which stock is going to go up the most? And they, they were big players in the cotton market at that time. Tell me what the cotton market's going to do tomorrow. I'll give you $100 for every day that you do this for me. And or another guy comes and tells me, says, oh, tell me where the hidden treasure might be found. So Edgar Casey once or twice tried something like this and he then developed severe headaches. Yeah. And he, yeah. he found that his energy was depleted and he would lose his power. And he said, look, as it is, I never wanted to do this. I only want to do God's work. I want to do right things. I don't want to just make people money. I refuse. And it depletes my energy anyway. So he stopped doing it. But then the government of the U.S. called him and said, look, we've been looking for oil in Texas. <clears throat> and we've drilled, drilled, drilled everywhere. And although our machines tell us that there's oil here, we cannot seem to hit the well. Would you help us? And he said, sure. And he put himself into a state of hypnosis and said, where you have been digging is just a short distance away from where you should be digging. And he said, this is the uh, latitude. This is the longitude of where you should drill. And you should actually go be 10 feet, just 10 feet below where you've been going to. Your drill goes down so many feet, 10 feet more, and you will hit the oil. And that's exactly what happened. Hmm. So the U.S. government, that and other things that he did, was so impressive that they said, look, with everything else you've been doing, we're going to put Miss Gladys Davis to come and stay with you, a single woman, stay with you and your wife and your family. From here on in, she will write down everything. So Gladys Davis then was replaced by somebody else. I don't remember her name. Um, she came and they stayed with, she stayed. And all of those records were typed and put into records. So, um, and then he was known from there on in as the miracle man of Virginia. The interesting thing was that as his mind would go, people started writing to him just as an example from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And they would say, my name is such and such. I was born in this part of Switzerland. And currently I live in this part of Switzerland. And so Edgar Casey's appointment stretched out for a year and a half after he would get a telegram and he would cite right back and say, okay, next year, 18 months from now, I will do you at such and such a time. Make sure that you stay in the location that you told me you will be in. Okay. And so mm -hmm. he would do this. And then a year and a half later, he would put himself in a trance and then he would say interesting things. And and, and they followed it up to say, the newspapers followed it up to say, is this true? They would send a telegram. So, for example, he said, pretty rough wind here this morning. He said, how did he know how windy it is over there? Yeah. Another time he said, oh, you're in Winterthur, Switzerland. Isn't it pretty? Wow, it's pretty here. Nice, mm -hmm. beautiful stream next to you. And he confirmed, yes, there was a beautiful stream there. Another time he said, oh, the body is just leaving. The body is going down in the elevator now. So these descriptions invariably proved accurate. People were surprised. Now, the question people often ask is, well, how exactly did he do this? And in the next episode, I'll tell you what, what Edgar Casey said gave him these answers. So he would loosen his tie, just like Lane did for him the first time, mm -hmm. loosen his collar, lie down on a couch, cross his legs, relax, cross his arms in front of him. Now, he learned, this is also significant, 
he would learn to lie in a north-south direction where he would put his head to the south and his feet to the north. Now, only in the Hindu scriptures is it written that how you sleep determines how well you function. It is written there that you should lie. And, and, and there's a science behind how to build your houses so that your bedrooms are faced a certain way, north, south, east, west, etc. I'm not too familiar with which direction you're supposed to. But later on, the same power that he has within him actually told him to turn it around and put his head to the north and his feet to the south, not the other way around. So he would lie with his head to the south and feet to the north. Then Lin would say the following words to him. He would say, you will now have before you Mr. such and such, who is located at such and such, who was born on such and such a date at such and such a town. Hmm. You will now go over this body carefully, examine it thoroughly, and tell me the conditions you find at the present time, giving the cause of the exact conditions, the existing conditions, and also your suggestions for help and relief of this body from these conditions. You will answer any questions as I ask them. This is what Lane would say to Casey. Mm-hmm. Now, that reminds me of the kinds of things that I would have to say. I would have to write this down ahead of time when I hypnotized my patients so that it would all come out very clearly crystal because they would be followed word for word under hypnosis. Right. So as he did this, Edgar Cayce re- realized that this was a gift from God. It was not a tool of the devil as he was afraid of because he says in all the thousands of times I've done this, It has always only helped people. Not one of these readings has caused any kind of harm. Along the time, there were many, many skeptics who said, this can't be true. What is he doing? One of the most famous ones was a man by the name of Hugo Munsterberg, who was a psychologist from Harvard University, who traveled from Boston to Alabama to declare Edgar Cayce a fraud. He came in expecting that the rooms would be dark, covered with dark curtains and all kinds of hocus pocus. And instead, he found a well-lit room, clean, clear, with very little furniture in there, just a couch. And he talked to Edgar Casey, who was very open with him, talked to many, many of his patients who had achieved significant results, was very satisfied, and actually sat through quite a few of Edgar Casey's readings. Hmm. Then Hugo Munsterberg was no longer thinking that he was a charlatan and became one of his biggest proponents. Um, Last point, Virginia Beach. um, In 1929, there was a very rich man called Morton Blumenthal who was helped by Edgar Cayce's treatments. And he said, I'm going to give you money. And Edgar said, I don't want to take any money. He said, well, I'll build a hospital for you. Don't take any money. But that hospital can house many, many people who are, who can't come to you, can't walk, whatever. And he said, that would be fine. So with many rooms that were provided for by Morton Blumenthal, they provided food and uh, osteopaths and other people. And this hospital did well from uh, 1929 when it was first built until 1931, just two years, unfortunately. 1931, the crash took place, the stock market crash. Morton Blumenthal lost all his money. 
and the hospital had to be closed. Hmm. Um, so let me stop part one over here. From here, just so you know what's coming in the next episode, this very wealthy man, another man called Lamar, who lived in Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. said, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm a printer. I've made tons of money. I left. A, I lived a very wonderful, clean life. And I don't want to know anything about my body because my body's fine. But he said, I'm very, very well read. I know a lot. I am curious about the outside world. I want to know about why are we on this earth? How did we get here? What enlivens us? What is God? What is religion? Which religion of all the religions on the earth are <clears throat> is the right one? Mm-hmm. And that led Edgar Casey to the next phase of his life. For 45 years after that, he did what he know was called life readings. So up to now, he did readings on the body and treatment. After this, he did that too, but also did life readings. And we'll talk about that next time, friends.